Today's discussion uh, is going to be based, um, inshallah, on a particular question that um, I received during the week. Um, so although the question wasn't exactly in this form, um, uh, it did um, sort of point to this, um, yeah, it did bring to mind for me um, this sort of issue uh, relating to sincerity, uh, ikhlas. Um, so, of course, we've spoken about we've spoken about ikhlas, you know, on many occasions. Um, uh, but due to its importance, I mean, it is something that's worth reiterating regularly. Um, and uh, so we'll do that today. You know, we'll revise what's exactly meant by sincerity, just briefly. Um, but um, in particular, we'll deal with this certain aspect of um, uh, the issue of sincerity. Okay. Um, so most of us would be aware that um, in order to gain ikhlas, in order to um, you know be sincere in our actions, um, in in our worship in general, what we do need to do um, is that we need to do that action purely for Allah's sake. Okay. Um, we need to do that action with the hope of gaining uh, Allah's pleasure. Um, now, that seems to, um, it seems difficult to reconcile that sometimes um, with this other reality, okay, that it does seem that very often we are motivated to, to act in certain ways um, due to certain uh, feelings and in particular certain desires that we have, all right? Um, I mean, you know, just consider any simple example like um, when do I take a, you know, uh, a tablet for a headache? Um, it's when I'm feeling the pain of a headache usually, right? Um, it's when I feel the desire to um, relieve myself of the pain of that headache. Um, so hence, I take, you know, a pain tablet at that time. Um, or... Um, when what why is it that I choose to eat um, at particular times in the day? You know, um, why do I eat, for example, um, you know, at around about lunchtime each day, or at around about you know evening time each day? Well, if we're to be honest, we'd admit that um, a large part of the reason why we choose to eat at those particular times is because we're feeling hungry at those times. So we feel a desire for food at those times. Um, but we're supposed to be acting for Allah's sake. Um, every single action that we perform is meant to be done with the hope of gaining Allah's pleasure. Now, it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking that um, if I act um, for my own pleasure, like, for example, you know, if I uh, eat at a certain time because I'm hungry at that time, or if I take a headache tablet at a certain time, you know, because I have the desire to be rid of that headache at that time. You know, if I follow my desires in those sorts of ways, then it's easy to um, fall into the trap of thinking that, well, actually, what I'm doing there is I'm not acting for Allah's sake. You know, it does seem as though I'm acting for my own sake. I'm acting for the sake of my own pleasure. I'm acting for the sake of um, my own nafs. Right. Um, my nafs doesn't like the experience of a certain pain, right? headache or whatever. Um, uh, my nafs doesn't like um, uh, having to endure thirst, let's say. So, you know, hence, after I go on a jog or after I go on a long walk, um, you know, uh, I want to satiate that thirst. So, hence, I drink some water. So, it looks there as though we're acting for our own nafs, for our own um, feelings, for our own desires. Um, it seems as though, at least prima facie, you know, at least on the face of it, it seems as though we're not acting, you know, for Allah's sake, but rather acting for our own sake. Now, um, what I want to say right from the outset is that, um, and indeed what I'm hoping to show by the end of this discussion, um, by relying on certain things that, you know, Bedouzaman says, what I'm hoping to show is that um, acting in those sorts of ways, you know, um, Pursuing a certain pleasure, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, 
acting uh, souls to relieve oneself of certain pains, you know, uh, acting for the sake of certain feelings and desires and so on, that that need not be insincere. Okay? Even that can be sincere. Even that can, even that can be done in such a way as to capture ikhlas. Um, how so? Okay? It seems as though, um, you know, uh, it seems, in a, in a sense, contradictory. I'm meant to be acting for Allah's sake. Uh, how, in acting for Allah's sake, can I act for my own sake? Um, so we want to try to resolve that. Okay? We want to try to reconcile those two ideas. Um, because otherwise, we're going to end up in this quite absurd situation where we cannot, um, if we want to capture sincerity, if we want to maintain sincerity at all times, um, then we're simply just not going to be able to act at certain times. Like, what do you say, for example, to the person who gets a very distinct pleasure and you know and actually there are people like this um this is not at all imaginary you know there are persons who get a re very real pleasure from things like salah or things like you know memorizing um quran okay uh you know each new ayah that they memorize gives them you know a real pleasure uh, the very act of you know trying to memorize a surah uh, or an ayah actually gives them a pleasure Right. So, just as some people will get a pleasure from, say, watching Netflix or playing PlayStation, you know, there are people who, um, and, and, and Bedouzaman actually refers to uh, this notion in the Risali Nur, says there are some people for whom, you know, their pleasure is actually worship, right? Uh, you know, talking there about uh, certain um, very explicit, even ritual forms of worship like Salah, their pleasure lies in that. Um, what do you say to the person like that? Um, what must he do? What must he or she um, wait until that, till the desire to pray or the desire to worship in that way subsides, and only then perform that? So as to, you know, hopefully avoid acting for one's own nafs. Um, what do you say to that person? What if they always feel that desire? Right? Are they to never pray? Um, so you end up in that absurd sort of situation. Um, so it cannot be the case. It simply cannot be the case that. Um, satiating you know um or pursuing some desire you know like acting to um satiate some desire right um pursuing a certain pleasure it cannot be the case that that's always insincere um it can uh sometimes be insincere maybe it can often be insincere for certain persons that you know um that aren't worshipful that um you know black taqwa let's say um it could be insincere but if we're worshipful and if we um gain certain um, states of heart, certain states of mind. Um, you know, in other words, if we view the whole situation in the right way, uh, if we think and act in certain ways, we can actually um, gain sincerity, even in the act of enjoying some pleasure. Um, so that's going to be our topic today. Um, to commence, I want to just, uh, as I said that I would, um, I want to just remind myself and all of us um, uh, about just a couple of things that Bedizaman uh, says about sincerity. Um, uh, I have been assisted today in preparing for this um, halakha um, uh, by our brother Siddiq from Yumas, um, and he's actually provided me with some um, you know, really important um, uh, hadiths and um, uh, and so on. Uh, so I'm going to also mention um, at least one or two of those. Um, and by doing all of that, I'm hoping that, yeah, you know, we, we, you know, we have the idea of ikhlas and exactly what it means, uh, very fresh in our mind, so that we can then um, read one other part of the Risale Nur, where Bedouzaman wanders, um, you know, when can I do something like, for example, when can I prefer baklava um, to just plain old, um, you know, uh, bread and cheese? Uh, you know, when can I uh, pursue pleasures like that? Um, when is that? Uh, acceptable for the worshipful person. All right. Um, so not so much. Um, so it's not merely a question of you know is that halal? Uh, he's assuming it's halal. Uh, so yeah, you know he's assuming that the baklava uh, is halal. Um, nonetheless, uh, just because it's halal doesn't always mean that um, you, you can consume it however you want uh, or whenever you want. Um, so Bedouzaman specifically uh, asks that question. So we'll read that as well. And by the time we do all that, we'll be able to return to um, 
our topic, we'll be able to return to that question um, uh, that I raised at the outset and, uh, inshallah, um, uh, provide an answer to that and reconcile those, uh, those two issues. Okay, so I'm going to read first from... Just, I'm just going to take just a few sentences, okay? So I'm not going to read at length. A um, few sentences from Bediruzzaman Sayyid Nursi's um, 20th flash on ikhlas. Okay, so he's got two flashes, two um, treatises uh, here in the flash collection, both on ikhlas. I'm just going to pick a couple of sentences from each of those. Okay, and he starts here um, with a uh, verse from the Quran, and it's rendered here in English as follows. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. In the name of Allah, the merciful, the compassionate. The verse, verily, we sent the book down to you in trust. So worship Allah in sincerity. For Allah is sincerely practice religion. Okay, so he's saying that verse and also this hadith. Okay. And the noble saying of the Prophet All men will perish except the scholars. And all scholars will perish except those who act in accordance with their knowledge. And even all of them will perish except for the sincere. And even the sincere are in great danger. Okay, so... That verse and that hadith that we just read, they demonstrate together how important a principle of Islam is ikhlas, sincerity. Yeah. And then he goes on to yeah, discuss um, certain issues pertaining to ukhuwa, you know, which I've mentioned in the past, you know, um, is very relevant to the issue of uh, ikhlas. Um, we've spoken about that in the past, so I won't... Um, Go, go on and read that. I'm going to skip ahead now to his 21st flash where he says a few more things about class. He says, O oh my brothers and sisters of the hereafter, and O oh my companions in this khidmah, in this service of the Quran, in this dawah, you should know and you do know that in this world, ikhlas, Sincerity is the most important principle in works pertaining to the akhirah, the, the hereafter in particular. It is the greatest strength and the most acceptable intercessor and the firmest point of support and the shortest way to reality and the most acceptable dua, the most acceptable prayer. And the most wondrous means of achieving one's goal, and the highest quality and the purest worship. Yeah. Um, so I'll stop reading there for now. Um, I want to touch in particular on this um, uh, issue uh, of ikhlas being a form of dua. Okay. So. What is ikhlas? Let's remind ourselves straight away. But this is what I'm saying here clearly, and you know, if you take into account things that he says elsewhere in the Risalinud, it's very clear. Um, uh, you know, I think it's clear in Islam in general, right? We all know this, right? That any act that we do, right, does not gain you any hasana, does not um, do you any good, in respect of what's most important to you, um, in particular, your akhirah, right? It does you no good in respect of that unless it's done in a particular way, okay? Um, unless it's done with ikhlas. So ikhlas is a prerequisite. Um, in general, the believer should be trying to worship at all times, like, um, which is to say that like, we should always be trying to Act in such a way as to try to gain Allah's pleasure. Okay, um, we should be avoiding things that are haram straight away because immediately, you know, it's clear that if something's haram, uh, Allah's not going to be pleased with me doing that. Right? If something's haram in a certain context, in a certain set of circumstances, then um, yeah, it's clear that Allah's not going to be pleased with me if I do that. So 
um, uh, straight away I know I've got to avoid the haram. In general, I should only do permissible things. Um, only when I do permissible things can, do I have a chance of actually acting in a worshipful manner. But none of my attempted acts of worship, none of my yeah, attempts to you know, behave in um, a worshipful manner count in any way at all. They don't even count, in fact, as worship unless they're done in this particular way. Right? My, the, my intention in doing them, right? so this is part of it, this is part of what it means to um, act with ikhlas. Right? My intention, right, whether that intention is you know, very explicit, you know, if, if, whether it's verbalised or w- whether it's not, you know, even if it's just you know, in the back of my mind. Um, so whether it's at the forefront of my, of my mind or the back of my mind. My intention should always be, in doing any action, right, um, any, first of all, I shouldn't be doing any imperm- impermissible actions in the first place. Um, so out of that set of permissible actions that I'm meant to be engaging in, um, when I do those particular actions, yeah, my intention in doing them should be um, to do them for Allah's sake, which is to say that I'm... My reason for doing them is to try to gain Allah's pleasure. Um, Bearing in mind, of course, that the whole purpose in my being created by Allah is to do that very thing. The whole purpose of my creation is to engage in acts of worship. The whole point of my creation is to act in certain ways so that um, I would come to know Allah. And then express that knowledge um, through gratitude, through exaltation, uh, and so on, right? Um, various ways of, all different ways of appreciating, appreciating Allah. Um, unless I have, uh, you know, an intention like that, um, and unless further to that intention, right? unless I'm also true, true to that intention, that's the thing, right? It's not enough just to have a certain intention. To act with ikhlas, it's not enough that I just have a certain intention. Um, you know, as I've said on many occasions, that niyat, intention, and ikhlas are not exactly the same thing. Niyat is an aspect of, um, it's one part of ikhlas. Um, I form a certain intention, let's say, let's say I'm going to you know, take wudu, all right? Um, when I'm doing that wudu, the reason why I'm doing it should be to gain Allah's pleasure. Instead of, for example, um, to appear pious to the person next to me. Okay. If I was to try to appear pious to the person next to me, if that's the reason why I'm doing it, then straight away, uh, that act is not going to count as an act of worship. Um, I'll say more about exactly why um, in a moment after I re- read um, uh, um, the hadith, uh, in particular that Brother Sadiq uh, um, has um, uh, been so kind as to furnish me with. Um, I'll say more about um, why it doesn't count as worship in a moment. Um, but let's just understand for now, Yeah, if what I'm trying to do is gain someone else's pleasure other than Allah's, right? I'm trying to you know show off to the people around me, then yeah, straight away that... Um, uh, that action cannot count as sincere. But in addition to having the right intention, uh, so my intention is not to please, you know, not to appear pious to the brother next to me, um, uh, not to you know show off to the community or anything of that nature. No, my intention is to please Allah. Uh, it's to gain Allah's pleasure. Then what I've got to do is I've got to actually act in such a manner as to remain true to that intention. See, ikhlas is very closely related to truth, right? To act with sincerity is to be genuine, right? It's to be genuine. It's to be truthful in, uh, in a certain sense. Uh, in what sense? Well, just this sense. Seeing as though I'm trying to gain Allah's pleasure, seeing as though that's my intention, then I had better try to perform that particular action in the way that I know Allah likes it to be performed. So there's no point... Uh, forming an intention to take, say, wudu or perform salah or indeed eat a meal uh, or drive a car or do any other potential act of worship, right? whether ritual or non-ritual. Um, there's no point intending to do it for Allah's sake and then doing it 
instead the way I like or the way someone else likes. Um, you know, uh, uh, let's say that because I'm lazy, I can't be bothered, um, you know, trying to be uh, conservative, you know, with the amount of water that I use, let's say. I'm just too lazy to worry about that, let's say. Um, so I don't care about um, not being, you know, I don't care about frugality. I don't care about not being wasteful. So when I take wudu, I just happily use as much water as I like. Um, so then I'm... Although I said, you know, Bismillah Rahman Rahim, and maybe I even, you know, verbalized my intention, like, you know, in a very explicit way. No, I didn't just say Bismillah, I said, um, I intend to perform wudu. So in my mind, I say, I intend to perform wudu for the sake of Allah's pleasure, right? Let's pretend I do that. Um, but then, yeah, I've just gone and done that wudu in a manner totally contrary to how Allah likes. Again, I've failed to capture ikhlas in. The doing of that action and it does not count as worship or uh, at least you know to whatever degree to whatever degree I've harmed ikhlas there to whatever degree I've not done it in a manner pleasing to Allah at least to that degree yeah I'm not going to gain hasana uh, I'm not going to gain Allah's pleasure and it's not going to benefit me in the afterlife right to that degree so this probably comes in degrees right um you know of course there are probably varying degrees to which someone may or may not uh, do something in the manner that Allah likes. Okay. Now we're assuming here that we have some, you know, we're mature believers and we have some knowledge, right? Um, commensurate with, you know, our age, commensurate with the knowledge that we ought to have gained by this age, right? Um, you know, that we know certain things about how Allah likes us, you know, to do certain things. Um, so we're assuming that. Right, we're assuming that we're not just some person who's new to the religion or some young child that's just learning new how to, newly how to practice the religion. No, no, we're here, you know, we're here as say, you know, mature and relatively knowledgeable believers. Well, we've got to act in accordance with that knowledge. Um, and you know, and sometimes you'll be accountable for your lack of knowledge. If by a certain age, you know, you ought to have gained certain knowledge, then um, you know, if by a certain age you've squandered you know, numerous opportunities to gain, let's say, certain kinds of knowledge, um, then again, you know, you're the one who's accountable for that lack of knowledge. So, you know, an absence of knowledge is not always going to excuse you, you know, like it might excuse a young child or a newcomer to the religion, okay? So, you know, all of this needs to be borne in mind, like when understanding sincerity. Now, um, it's of the utmost importance that um, we gain sincerity. That It's of the utmost importance that you know, we try to appreciate as much as possible exactly what sincerity is and, you know, how to apply it, how to gain it. Uh, it's of the utmost importance because um, if we fail to perform our actions with ikhlas, then on the Day of Judgment we're going to see that um, all of the supposed acts of worship that we thought we did, all the good that we thought that we, um, you know, all the hasana we thought we gained, um, you know, we're actually all just wasted opportunities. Let me read a, a hadith that Brother Steaks provided me with, um, uh, and, and, and that particular idea will make more sense, inshallah. Um, okay, so it's on the authority of Abu Huraira, may Allah be pleased with him, who said, I heard the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam say, The first of people against whom judgment will be pronounced on the day of resurrection will be a man who died a martyr. Right? So this is a person who is a shaheed. Or at least he appears like a shaheed, right? He will be brought forth and Allah will make known to him his favours and he will recognise them. Okay. So in other words, Allah will... Um, make explicit to him, will show him, you know, all of the various ni'ma, you know, that he gave him in the dunya, you know, for example, certain attributes, certain skills, certain talents, you know, certain wealth, etc., etc., right? Allah will make all of that apparent to him. And this person, this martyr, or this, you know, potential martyr, um, will accept that. He'll recognize that, yes, he was given all this ni'ma. Then the Almighty, Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala, will say, and what did you do about them? Okay, so in other words, how did you use these niyatma that I gave you? You know, this indeed this emana, 
Yeah, remember we spoke about the amana last week, okay? So you've been given certain ni'ma on trust, right? You've been given certain ni'ma to use, right? Um, for the purpose for which you're created, right? You've been given them to worship Allah, to come to know and appreciate Allah. Right? So Allah's going to ask you, right? How did you use these ni'ma? Now, what does this person say? He says, well, I used them like this. I fought for you until I died as a martyr, a shaheed. Then Allah will say, you have lied. You did but fight that it might be said of you, he is courageous. Okay, so this hadith has been translated in sort of, um, uh, sort of older English. You know, I'll try to um, maybe change it into uh, you know, uh, uh, some more modern idioms. Um, so you know, uh, Allah says to him that no, you're, you're lying. The only reason you fought was so that people could say, hey, look, look how courageous he is. Okay. So he didn't use his talents you know, on the battlefield for Allah's sake. Didn't use them to please Allah. Rather, he used them to please the people, right? Or to please his own nafs. Okay. So he, you know, he wanted to appear courageous in the eyes of people. And the hadith goes on. Okay. So he wanted it to be said that he is courageous, and so it was said. Then he will be ordered to be dragged along on his face until he is cast into hellfire. Okay. So we see there that this guy, in the end, he can't be a genuine shaheed because we know that shaheed, um, you know, uh, goes uh, to Jannah and spends all eternity in Jannah. Uh, the shaheed doesn't take a detour via hell. All right. So um, this person ends up in hell. Another will be a man who has studied religious knowledge and has taught it and who used to recite the Qur'an. He will be brought forward and Allah will make known to him his favours and he will recognise them, just like the other guy. Then the Almighty will say, and what did you do with these favours? What did you do about them? The man will say, I studied religious knowledge and I taught it and I recited the Qur'an for your sake. But he, Allah, will say, you have lied. You only studied religious knowledge so that it might be said about you, he is learned. Okay? So he just wanted people to see him um, as a knowledgeable, a learned person. Right? He wanted the honour of that in the eyes of people. Um, it wasn't for Allah's sake at all. Oh. Okay, the hadith goes on. Yeah, you did but study religious knowledge so that it might be said of you, he is learned. And you recited the Qur'an only so that it might be said of you, he is a reciter. And so it was said, then he will be ordered to be dragged along on his face until he is cast into hellfire. Another person will be, will be a man whom Allah made rich and to whom he had given all kinds of wealth. He will be brought forward and Allah will make known to him his favours and he will recognise them. The Almighty will then say, and what did you do about them? How did you use your wealth? He will say, I left no path untrodden in which you like money to be spent without spending it for your sake. Okay, so there was no zakat uh, that he didn't give. Uh, rather, there was no sadaqah that he failed to give, in other words. All right. But then Allah will say to him in response, you have lied. You did but do so. Right, so you gave all that sadaqah. Right, only so that it might be said of you, he is open-handed. Right, in other words, he is generous. And so it was said. And then he too will be ordered to be dragged along on his face until he's cast into hellfire. Okay. And that's the end of the hadith. So it's also related by Muslim and by Tirmidhi and, and Nasai. Okay, so that was quite a long hadith, so I'll, I'll continue on. Um, I do want to, in my last 30 minutes, I do want to make sure that I get around to um, uh, answering um, the question that, that I raised at the outset. Um, so we saw there in that hadith that... Um, the reason why um, the persons in question, um, you know, fail to go directly to paradise. So these are believers, right? 
But they don't go, they, they fail to go directly to paradise. They go via hell. Um, why do they have to go via hell? Well, because um, they did certain things, not for Allah's sake, but rather for their own sake, right? They wanted to, you know, show off to people in various ways um, uh, for their own sake, okay? So they wanted to please others and themselves um, rather than Allah. So that kind of um, behavior is the very definition of uh, an absence of ikhlas because to act with ikhlas, as we've already described, is to act uh, for Allah's sake rather than anyone else's sake. Um, but those persons did the very opposite. Um, why does Beduzaman say uh, that um, ikhlas is, uh, how does he, he word it? The most acceptable du'a. Right? In what sense is it a du'a? Well, remember we said that to act with ikhlas is to act in uh, such a way as to try to gain Allah's pleasure. Okay? Um, yeah, our intention in performing a certain uh, permissible action, uh, a certain uh, action that's a candidate for counting as worship, right? Our intention in performing that action uh, is to gain Allah's pleasure. So, um, immediately we should see that this business of acting with sincerity, it very much has, um, you know, the character of a, a, an asking, right? Um, so dua in general is asking right, for something from Allah, okay? So what are we asking of Allah like when we act with sincerity? We're asking that he be pleased with us. Um, so we can make du'a. Like we'll have a, another discussion on du'a on another occasion because it's really important. Um, uh, uh, let me just say very briefly now that you know, um, points to the fact that du'a comes in all shapes and forms. Right? Um, you know, du'a isn't merely verbal. So we all know of uh, dua, you know, that, um, you know, look, we all know about asking for things with our tongue, yeah, you know, Ya Allah, you know, help me to pass my exam, you know, uh, Ya Allah, um, you know, uh, protect me from the hellfire, etc., etc. Like, um, those are very, um, those are askings, aren't they? We're asking Allah for something in a very explicit way. Um, but there are countless ways to ask for something. Um one way of asking for something is to, you know, behave in a certain way, right? It's to, you know, act in such a way that, you know, Allah sees um, that I want a certain thing, yeah? If I act in a way that I know to be pleasing to Allah, in acting in that way, Allah sees that, hey, I'm asking for something. Uh, Allah sees that I'm asking for his pleasure. So, Trying to act with ikhlas, it's very much a request. It's very much, it's exactly like a du'a. It is, in fact, the kind of du'a. Now, Beduzaman says about both du'a and ikhlas itself. Both of them, he says, are the very ruh of worship. They're the very thing, in other words, like you can understand it like this. They are du'a and ikhlas in particular. Ikhlas being one form of du'a. Um, these are the very thing that make Worship into worship. In other words, something doesn't count as worship in the first place unless it has this particular character. If a particular action isn't done for the sake of Allah's pleasure, if it isn't done with the hope of gaining Allah's pleasure, then it doesn't count as worship in the first place. So it's the very thing, therefore, that animates, that makes alive, you know, that makes worship worship. It's its ruh. Right. Um, you know, the very thing that makes me a human being is the fact that I've got the ruh of a human being, right? Well, so in, in exactly that same way, the very thing that makes worship worship right, is uh, if it has the, the right ruh. Right? has to have ikhlas. Without ikhlas, it doesn't even count as worship. That goes for any kind of um, uh, candidate kind of worship that you can imagine, right? So all permissible things that we do, they're all candidates for counting as worship. That whether salah, or whether eating a meal, or whether even going shopping, uh, as uh, Dr. Colin Turner, uh, you know, has uh, you know pointed out on a number of occasions to me, even things like going shopping, they can act, count as worship. But this one goes so far as to say that under the right circumstances, 
for the worshipful person, particularly for the student, the sincere student of the Quran, the student of, you know, a tafsir of the Quran, say like the Risali Nur. For persons like that, you know, who hand over their whole life um, to dawah, let's say. For persons like that, even their sleep can count as worship. All right. Um, how so? Right. How can things like sleep um, and, you know, going shopping, uh, you know, pleasurable things like that, right? you know, things that we do whether for enjoyment or whether to, you know, meet a certain need that we have, you know, um, like say, you know, the need that we have, for example, to satiate our thirst or the need that we have to, you know, go on buy certain goods like, you know, the latest iPhone, um, uh, you know, the, even the need that we have sometimes to experience like excitement and thrills, like, I don't know, um, you know, maybe watching a, um, a certain movie or, you know, riding a roller coaster, right? you know, all things like that, so long as they're permissible under those particular circumstances, right, they can all count as worship, all right? Um, they can count as worship, right? Um, under a certain set of circumstances. Now, what I'm going to do, um, I'm going to read a, uh, around about a page from Beduzaman's uh, 19th flash, where, as I mentioned earlier, he's going to talk about, you know, when is it that I can prefer baklava to, you know, something much simpler, right? Um, you know, when can I pursue that kind of pleasure? Right? So, by the time we read that, you know, I'm hoping that we're going to have a better sense of, yeah, you know, when is it that I can ride a roller coaster? Um, you know, when is it that I can um, pursue whatever sort of pleasure, any kind of pleasure? Um, when can I do that and still be acting sincerely, right? Still be acting worshipfully. Like we should never, we should never be acting other than worshipfully. Um, you know, we shouldn't do this. Like we shouldn't be like certain, um, you know, members of certain other religions, who I don't need to mention by name, um, that, you know, sort of very much compartmentalise their worship, right? Um, you know, worshipping is for Sundays. <laughs> worshipping is for certain times of the year. Um, no, not at all. You know, um, we've, Allah says, um, and I did not create jinn and mankind other than to worship me. <laughs> that means that we don't have any business doing anything other than worship. We should be trying to make all of our actions worshipful. In other words, um, which means, in other words, that we should be in, uh, ensuring that we gain sincerity in everything that we do. Because something that we do can't count as worship in the first place unless it's done with sincerity, right? So, you know, we need to find a way of making every single thing that we do sincere, right? We've got to infuse ikhlas into everything we do, whether it's riding a roller coaster or whether it's eating baklava or whatever. So how? Um, let's read this short section, and inshallah by then we'll be able to um, um, reconcile this issue. So here, Beduzaman's talking about frugality. Okay, The 19th flash is frugality, and Beduzaman's worried about frugality. Um, why? Because it's contrary to ikhlas. All right. Um, Remember my example about um, taking wudu in a manner wasteful of the water. Um, to waste water is to fail to be frugal or economical um, you know, with water. So frugality is the very opposite of, um, uh, uh, sorry, sorry, wastefulness is the very opposite of frugality. Okay, so for those of you not familiar with the term frugality, yeah, to be frugal is to be you know, not wasteful with something, economical with something. Um, now, why is he so worried about frugality? Like, just, just so that, um, just to contextualize what he's saying. Right? He's worried about frugality because if we're wasteful with um, the ni'ma that Allah has given us, like things like water, things like food, right, things like money, indeed even time, or indeed your life in general, if you're wasteful with the various ni'ma that Allah has given you, then immediately those particular actions, right, you know, the action of taking wudu where you waste water or even the general action of living your life, you know, um, in a wasteful manner, in a manner where you're wasting your time, let's say, um, straight away those actions, they, 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 cannot act as, they cannot count as sincere, therefore they cannot count as worship. Um, and the, the reason for that is that 
when we're wasteful with things, um, we're not using those things the way Allah wants them to be used, right? Allah wants you to appreciate the value in all the things that He gives you. Okay, um, in 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 each thing that Allah has given us here, in each thing that He has created here in the dunya, and even in the akhirah, right? um, at least one or more divine names are being manifested. Yeah, like Allah brings it about that a meal ends up on my plate, you know, uh, on my table, as we've discussed in recent weeks. Allah's names like Rezaq and you know Rahim, for example, are manifested. Um, so in each ni'ma that Allah gives me, due to its connection to Allah, due to the fact that it, it is a ni'ma from Allah, um, it actually garners an infinite value. Right? Um, when I'm wasteful with that thing, right, um, I'm being wasteful with something that uh, is there to help me to gain an infinite good, that infinite good being the knowledge of Allah. Right. So Allah gives me water, for example, so that I can come to appreciate the beauty you know, of certain names and attributes of His. Um, when I'm wasteful of that, I fail to see the value in those things. Therefore, I don't use them the way that He wants, and therefore I fail to capture sincerity um, in wasting those things. So that wudu fails to count as sincere um, due to the fact that it's wasteful. So He's very concerned about you know, um, all of the most significant ways that we fail to capture sincerity hence he focuses on frugality all right so let's just read this short section now third point of the 19 flash we said in the second point that the sense of taste is a doorkeeper and indeed for the heedless and those who have not progressed spiritually nor advanced in the way of shukr it is like a doorkeeper Wastefulness should not be indulged in, nor the sense of taste price be raised from 1 to 10 for the sake of giving it pleasure. However, <clears throat> the sense of taste of those truly on the way of shukr, those seeking reality and those who approach it with their hearts, is like a supervisor and inspector in the kitchens of divine rahmah, divine mercy as is explained in the comparison in the sixth word. Its duty is to recognize and weigh up the varieties of divine bounties on the tiny scales present in it to the number of foods, and to send the body and stomach news of the food in the form of thanks. In this respect, the sense of taste does not only look to the physical stomach, rather, since it looks also to the heart, the ruh, and the mind, it has a position and importance superior to the stomach. On condition, it is not wasteful or extravagant and is purely to carry out. Okay, so here's the key thing. And, right, so on condition that it is purely to carry out its duty of thanks and recognize and perceive the varieties of divine bounty, and on condition that it is licit or permissible and does not lead to degradation and begging, it can follow its pleasure. Okay, so the tongue can follow its pleasure under those circumstances. In fact, Delicious foods may be preferred, even, in order to employ the tongue, which bears the sense of taste in giving thanks. The following is an instance of Sheikh uh, Abdul Qadir Gailani. Um, Sheikh Gailani's wonder working, right? Kerama, which alludes to this truth. Okay, so he's going to tell now a story right, about an instance of Kerama. So a Kerama most of you would be aware, is a non-prophetic miracle, right? Um, the sort of, you know, um, uh, wonder-working or, uh, you know, sort of miracle that's manifested by willies, all right? Um, not by prophets, but by willies. So, at one time, being instructed by Gulf al-Azam, Sheikh Abdul Qadir Gailani, may his mystery be sanctified, was, right, so being instructed by him, was the only son of an aged and anxious woman. Okay, so Abdul Qadir Gailani is giving instruction um, to a certain um, uh, person, to a certain man, who is the only son of this uh, elderly and anxious woman. This esteemed lady had gone to her son's cell and seen that he had nothing to eat but a piece of dry black bread. Her maternal compassion was aroused by his emaciated condition, right? So he's become very skinny, right? 
um, resulting from his asceticism. All right. So in order to, so he's on this um, um, path where he's trying to discipline his nafs. Um, so he's um, abstaining from uh, eating most foods. He's just surviving on bread and water as one particular way. We don't all have to do this, but you know, one particular way of disciplining or developing the nafs. Okay, so that's what he's doing, um, and seeing his sort of um, you know skinny or emaciated condition, uh, she feels sorry for him. Later, she went to Gulf Al Azam, Abdul Qadir Gailan, in order to complain, and saw that the sheikh was tucking into roast chicken. Out of out of her concern, she said, "Oh, Ustad, my son is dying of hunger while you are eating chicken." Whereupon, Abdul Qadir Gailani said to the chicken, right, so he speaks to the bones of the chicken, the dead chicken. Right. I've lost uh, where I was reading from. Okay. Uh, okay, so he says to the chicken, or to its bones rather, rise up with Allah's permission. Upon his saying this, the cooked chicken bones assembled and were thrown out of the dish as an entire live chicken. Okay, so, you know, as, as um, you know, wondrous as this sounds, uh, here's the thing, right, but this is what I'm going to say here. This has been related unanimously through many reliable and documented channels. Okay, so a number of you know, highly trustworthy persons, right, throughout the history of Islam, have all related this incident. Okay? So this is a very well-known incident in our religion, right? among the scholarly at least. Okay? Okay, so again, this has been related unanimously through many reliable and documented channels as a marvel of someone whose extraordinary wonder-working, or karama, is world-famous. Gulf al-Azam, Sheikh Abdul Qadir Gailani, said to her, when your son reaches this level, then he too can eat chicken. All right. So he's saying there, you know, when your son has disciplined his nafs to the point where he can perform karama like that, then he too can eat chicken. Okay. Thus, the meaning of Gulf al-Azam's words is this. Whenever your son's spirit rules his body and his heart rules the desires of his nafs, and his akal, his reason, right, rules his stomach, and he wants pleasure, right? Why? So uh, he 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 wants to um, pursue certain pleasures for the sake of offering thanks. Right? That's the key thing. Right? When he wants pleasure for the sake of offering thanks, then he may eat delicious things. Okay. Um, so. Bedouzaman gives there, you know, quite an extreme example, you know, of, yeah, you know, like he, he points to this like wondrous um, incident in which Sheikh uh, Abdul Qadir Gailani quite literally, um, you know, through Allah's power, of course, um, you know, makes, he makes a, a kind of dua to Allah and Allah brings it about that this chicken um, like comes back to life. So an instance of, you know, miraculous um, uh, you know, an, in, an instance of karam, uh, par excellence. He points to this karam, right? um, you know, as a way of highlighting to us right, that um, you can, in fact, right, there are, in fact, circumstances when, you, you know, you can, um, like, rather than, rather than just eating, um, you know, uh, bread and cheese or just drinking water, um, you know, you can actually enjoy baklava or roast chicken or, you know, I mean, look, nowadays baklava and roast chicken probably, you know, quite cheap and easily accessible to all of us. You know, think of something, you know, some something, uh, you know, uh, you know, more expensive or, you know, more luxurious, like maybe, you know, some sort of an artisan baklava, uh, you know, some sort of a very expensive bread that, you know, you normally wouldn't pay that much for. Um, you know, you can actually prefer those. Um, uh, so, you know, rather than y you can eat them instead of, in preference to, um, more economical things. 
under certain circumstances, okay? Not just willy-nilly, not merely. So, so of course, what we're doing there um, is similar to what I described at the start of this discussion. You are pursuing a certain desire, aren't you? Like, you know, when when Sheikh Abdul Qadri Geilani eats roast chicken, um, it is, at least in part, because he's motivated by a desire to eat chicken, you know. He does find the chicken, the roast chicken, desirable, like most of us do. Um, or, you know, when we go and, you know, buy an artisan bread or an artisan baklava or whatever. Or when, for example, we buy a BMW instead of um, an equally reliable but much cheaper um, Toyota, <laughs> okay, or do anything of that nature, right? When we pursue pleasures of that sort, um, uh, we can in fact do that um, under the right circumstances. Um, but we can't. Um, uh, yeah. So sorry. What, what I want to point out first is that yeah, definitely when we do go for those things. Yeah. Sorry. My apologies. I, I do want to point this out first. Like definitely when we do buy the BMW instead of the equally reliable Toyota, or when we Definitely when we eat the artisan bread, the artisan baklava in preference to just, you know, something economical, certainly what we're doing there is we're taking into account a, you know, a certain pleasure, a certain desire that we have, right? Um, we know that that's going to be pleasurable or at least we anticipate that it's going to give us certain pleasures over and above um, their alternatives, right? Um, that's definitely true. Um, that cannot be denied. Um, indeed, I mean, Allah's the one who creates those desires. Allah's the one who creates those pleasures. There's no denying that they're playing a role here. Um, the question is just this. Um, when can I satiate those um, desires? Like, when can I pursue those particular pleasures for something quite luxurious? Um, when can I do that in preference to just, you know, surviving on something very economical? Um and still remains sincere, okay? So here's the thing, like, these are permissible things, right? I mean, there's nothing prima facie, there's nothing prima facie haram about eating baklava, right? I mean, we're assuming that it's, you know, cooked with the right ingredients. Um, yeah, you know, we're, 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 we're assuming, uh, yeah, that in prima facie that it's halal, right? Um, certainly it's halal, but in consuming it or in, you know, buying that car or pursuing that pleasure, you know, in riding that roller coaster, um, am I still being sincere? Because remember, I've not been created other than for worship. Um, I don't want to waste my time. Right? I mean, more than just wasting time, I don't want to disrespect Allah by misusing my life, by misusing my time here. I'm, I want to try to worship in every action that I do. So I want to make sincere all my actions so that they can all count as uh, worship, if possible. To the extent of my capacity and capability, I want to do that. So, well, there are at least um, a couple of sets of circumstances, right? Like there are a couple of senses in which pursuing pleasures um, can be sincere. Right? And I want to also include among these pleasures... Um, also, things like this too, um, uh, you know, just following on from, you know, certain conversation that I had during the week, um, uh, you know, like even things like, um, like we have certain needs, don't we, like to beautify ourselves, like, um, you know, when, um, you know, my hair becomes very um, untidy, like when, like, I've got very thick hair, right, as soon as it grows a little bit, it just looks quite unsightly, uh, I'm not someone who can grow my hair very long, uh, so, you know, um, I have a desire every time that happens to go and, you know, um, get my hair cut. Um, or, uh, you know, many sisters might have a desire, like if they have some stray hairs, yeah, um, some stray um, uh, hairs in and around their eyebrows, you know, that are growing in spots where they shouldn't, etc., or that in general make them appear unattractive or untidy, you know, they have a desire, indeed a need to want to rectify that, you know, even things like that like, can be included in this. Like, when can I do that? And still be acting sincerely, you know, because again, it does seem prima facie that when we act in those ways, like when I do go and get my hair cut or pluck my eyebrows or do things like that, it does seem like I'm acting for my own nafs rather than for Allah's sake. Prima facie, that's how it can look, you know, but I want to say that generally, you know, um, it needn't be that way. I mean, oftentimes, 
uh, it's very much a waswese um, to get bogged down in that sort of uh, thinking, right? Um, so long as we do this, right, what we're trying to do is we're trying to do all actions sincerely, okay? Um, now, it might be that a certain thing that I do um, is serving some deeper goal or some higher goal, right? Like, um, here I am, like, I'm eating a particular meal. Now, on the face of it, it looks like I'm eating that meal just for my own uh, self, my own nafs. Okay, um, I'm eating it because I'm desirous of food at that particular time. You know, I choose that food because that's the food that seems tasty to me. Yeah. Um, so you know, prima facie, it looks like it's for me, but it might be, and indeed it should be, that that particular action is still serving a higher goal. Okay. Um, every believer should do this. Right? Every believer should, at some point. Um, and not just at one point, I mean, should regularly do this indeed, right? Should step aside and just consider this, right? That seeing as though we've not been created for any reason other than worship, that there is no, uh, that there is nothing more important for us um, than gaining Allah's pleasure, than worshipping Allah, than coming to, you know, know Allah, okay? Um, there is no greater good for us, right? So really, you know, we should all be, you know, um, we should all be hoping, we should all be aiming um, to be just in general worshipful at all times, okay? So then if that's the attitude I've adopted, like if I'm handing over my whole life to the worship of Allah in that particular manner, well, then a range of things are going to follow from that, you know. Um, you know, it's going to mean, for example, that, yeah, I've got to eat that I've got to sleep, that I've got to take um, certain breaks, you know, I've got to, you know, take some time out, even sometimes to, you know, take my family to an amusement park, you know, I've got to do certain things, right, to serve that goal, right, um, like, I can't, I can't just do this, like, I can't just stand um, and perform salah for every moment of my life, um, I can't sit there and read Quran for every minute of my life, um, in order to be able to worship, um, you know, most effectively, most fully, yeah, I've got to do certain other things as well to serve that goal, right? Things like eating and sleeping and resting and, um, you know, sometimes even taking time out for entertainment, etc., etc. So if my action is um, understood in that way, if that's sort of deep down, you know, in the back, of, even, even if it's only in the back of my mind, if that's sort of the reason why I'm doing it, Okay, then again, it can, act, it can count as sincere. All right. um, so that's one consideration. And then there's this other consideration. Um, and this is going to align in particular what Bedouzman's just said there in that 19th flash on frugality. Okay. Um, even the act of... Um, I'm, not, I'm going to finish on this point too, guys. So like, I know that I've uh, used up uh, 58 minutes, so uh, I'm hoping that I can finish off in, in the next two, three minutes, right? Um, I'm going to end on this point. Focusing specifically on the issue of, you know, going for, uh, you know, certain luxuries, certain pleasures, right? The BMW instead of the Toyota, the artisan bread instead of the, you know, um, cheap bread from Coles. Um, you know, it's focusing particularly on that issue, right? When can I, given what Bedouzaman said, like, when can I pursue that pleasure and yet still be acting worshipfully and sincerely, right? So I've already said that, look, you know, some actions like that, they might be serving some higher goal, right? um, but this is a little bit different to that, right? This form of action, this particular um, sort of decision-making can amount to um, worship can count as sincere in and of itself. Right? Um, the very act of pursuing a pleasure can in and of itself be done with sincerity and indeed must be done with sincerity. All right? um, I'm allowed to do this, right? I'm allowed to say, look, you know, um, whether I, and, 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 you know, again, I may or may not explicitly verbalise this, Right? It might be in the back of my mind or it might be evident just from the way that I'm behaving. Right? But in one way or another, it can still be my intention to um, act in a manner pleasing to Allah even when I 
pursue some pleasure, right? So remember I said last week that, I think it was last week or the week before, that you know you can act for your brother's sake, but in doing that, it, could, it can still really be for Allah's sake. Well, in a, in a manner similar to that, right? you can be acting you know, in a, such a manner as to satiate one of your own desires, right? in, in such a manner as to gain pleasure for yourself, um, even in circumstances where you're attempting to gain Allah's pleasure. Okay? So how so? Well, just like this. Well, I should know, I should bear in mind that um, Allah has created that baklava, or he's created that BMW. He's created those particular pleasures right, as just one of so many ways of coming to know him. Okay? Um, if I use those um, occasions as opportunities to come to know him, then I can still be enjoying those pleasures in a sincere way. Okay. Like, here's the thing. Right? We said that to act with sincerity is to try to act in such a manner as to gain Allah's pleasure. But in general, how, mu how must I act to gain Allah's pleasure? I mean, you know, how can I know what is the right way to act to gain Allah's pleasure? Well, if we want a, if we want a, want a very detailed or precise or specific answer to that, well, of course we need to look to you know um, the Sunnah, you know the Hadith, you know to the schools of jurisprudence, um, the works of the scholars, and so on and so on. Um, but we can always provide a general answer to that question in this manner. All right. Um, in general, how Allah wants me to do any particular action, even the action of um, pursuing some pleasure. Even the action of riding a roller coaster or driving a BMW instead of a Toyota, right? Um, uh, Allah always wants me to do them in this particular way. He wants me to do them in such a way as uh, in doing those things that I should be trying to come to know Him. Because that's why I've been created. That's what it means, in fact, to worship. Um, like, I can enjoy a pleasure in sort of these two ways, right? Like, here, let, let me finish off on this, right? There's two ways of enjoying that baklava or driving that BMW. I can enjoy the pleasure of those things in a manner totally unmindful of Allah, if I want. You know? So, um, you know, I, I just eat it, uh, I enjoy its pleasure, and I don't in any way connect it to Allah. I don't in any way bring to mind the fact that, hey, this is a ni'mah from Allah. This is a special ni'mah, a particular ni'mah um, that I don't always get. Uh, that I can't always afford, um, or that maybe not everybody can afford. You know, um, this is a niyatma from from Allah. Um, you know, yeah. If I fail to bring that to mind, if indeed if I fail to then give thanks, if I fail to in general, you know, um, engage with that thing, eat that thing, or drive that car, right, uh, in a manner that's um, going to facilitate my knowing and appreciating Allah. If I fail to do it in that way, then, yeah, you know, I'm not capturing sincerity in pursuing that pleasure. But I need not uh, enjoy that pleasure in that way. I can instead enjoy that pleasure in this way. Right? You know, I'm eating that baklava. Um, first of all, I'm eating it in a certain way. Like, first of all, I've taken into account whether or not it's permissible. Now, I've checked the ingredients. I've made sure it's something halal, etc., um, uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera. I've made sure it's something permissible, right? Um, then, secondly, like I, when I eat it, I try to not forget to eat it in Allah's name. I say Bismillah. Um, you know, every time I get into my BMW, I say Bismillah. Uh, you know, um, at the conclusion of eating it, I say Alhamdulillah. At the conclusion of my drive, I say Alhamdulillah. Even in the middle of consuming it or engaging with that particular pleasure, that particular bounty, I try to, if I don't forget, I try to bring to mind the fact that, hey, you know, this is a ni'mah from Allah. See, I can enjoy pleasures in that way. And if I enjoy them in that, that particular way, right, actually then they can count as sincere and they can amount to worship. Right? Um, and it's, you know, Allah very much likes for me to enjoy those pleasures. Because he's created me in the first place for that sort of thing. Right? He's, he's, he's not created me for any reason other than that, in fact. He's created me to come to, to know all the different varieties of his beauty and perfection. Right? And what that requires of me is that I, I have to use all of my faculties 
my sense of taste, my hearing, you know, my, 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 my vision, my you know, ability to drive, my ability to walk and talk and so on and so on. Every capability, every faculty, everything that I have, everything that Allah has given me, I'm meant to turn over to this task, right, of tasting all the different varieties of, um, you know, uh, beautiful things that Allah has uh, made apparent here in this world. Um, if I can manage to uh, engage in those pleasures in that particular way, then, yeah, I can very much capture sincerity, uh, even in pursuing those pleasures. Um, now, Bidusman does uh, add a couple of other caveats elsewhere in the Risali Nur. Um, he does say that, look, um, you know, uh, if you are going to go for something, you know, very... Um, uh, expensive, for example, you know, um, don't do so if it's going to mean that you're going to end up destitute, uh, uh, that you're going to end up having to beg, you know, um, in other words, don't do so in circumstances where you'd be wasting your money um, if you were to pursue that pleasure. And then he also adds this other caveat, um, if there are other people in your, especially close to you, right, in your family or even in your wider community that are very poor, you know, if they're hungry, it's not appropriate for you to, you know, indulge in, you know, very expensive um, delights if um, those people are in need of sadaqah first. So, you know, there are certain other caveats, like in general, whenever we enjoy pleasures, we've got to try to enjoy them only within the bounds and the limitations and only in the manner uh, um, that Allah has uh, set out, right? Um, we've got to try to enjoy them in a manner pleasing to Allah, okay? So, which is just to say that we've got to try to enjoy them sincerely, right? We've got to be true to our niyat. Our niyat is to, right? in general as a believer, our niyat is to try to gain Allah's pleasure. We've got to act in a manner um, that, uh, in such a way as to be true to that. If you can do that, then go ahead and enjoy as many pleasures as you can afford, um, or that is, a, or go ahead and enjoy as many pleasures as is appropriate for you, given your circumstances and your community, and so on. Um, uh, I've gone well over time, and whilst I've been talking, I've missed this call from my um, my son's school, so <laughs> it looks like uh, he's been uh, naughty, and I'm going to go pick him up again. Uh, so I'm. Um, Sorry, guys, I'm going to have to um, end it there. Sorry to go on uh, seven minutes um, uh, longer than usual. Uh, I'm not going to be able to... Um, uh, um, uh, ask you if you have any questions or anything of that nature on this occasion because I do got to rush off, guys. Um, but thank you so much for uh, tuning in again. Um, uh, please do join us again next week if you're able to do so. Jazakallah uh, khair. Subhanaka la ilma lana illa ma'allamtana innaka anta al-alim al-hakim ala rasulina salawat salam sayyidina muhammad lillah al-fatiha Thanks again, guys. Um, I do hope that I've managed to answer the um, question and the issue that we raised at, at the start. Um, uh, if not, yeah, please do um, let us know on the WhatsApp group. We've created a new one, um, as you'd be aware. Um, uh, do join us again next week. Thanks again, and assalamu alaikum.